Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Lord, we are so grateful that you are so faithful. And as we consider the different uh, types of relationships we find ourselves in, Lord, it's good to know that you are faithful in them that you want to lead us as we work through them, Lord, and and you want to help us uh, live out our relationships in the best way possible, Lord, in a way that glorifies you and and is honoring to one another, Lord. And so as we get ready to get into your word now, would you just guide us and lead us, Lord? Just be with us. Speak to us through your truth and help our relationships to be better now because of your good news. We thank you for your love. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Hey, it's a a real privilege to be uh, sharing with you again today. My name is um, Isaac. If you haven't met me, I'm on the pastoral team here. And hopefully, if you were here last week, you don't mind having uh, another week of me uh, this morning. Uh, But I I just love getting into God's Word and, and talking about how God can transform our lives in so many different ways and in different areas. And so stoked to be doing that this morning. But you know, that, that hasn't always been the case for me. Uh, even though I ended up in ministry, I remember that from a young age, uh, my faith was something that I was really conscious about not letting other people find out about. I was really worried about other people knowing that I was a Christian. And, and one of my earliest memories of this was from when I was about seven or eight I remember heading to school one day and there were some boys in my class making fun of another boy. And I asked, oh, what are you making fun of him for? And in my mind thinking, I'm going to stick up for him and, and defend him here. And they said, oh, we're making fun of him because he's a Christian. And in that moment, I sort of just just acknowledged it and said, oh, yeah, and, and then just move on. I, I froze up. Uh, I didn't know uh, what to say. Uh, I didn't say anything about my own beliefs. I didn't try to stick up for him at all, which was my original intention. I just froze in it and I did nothing. And I think for me in that moment, that was the first time that I consciously realized or decided that faith stuff wasn't going to be something that I was going to be public about. That for me, I just had this natural struggle, and and I personally wasn't willing to overcome it, and so I was going to keep it to myself. And from that moment, I can think of a number of occasions and stories uh, where that was the case, and I made intentional efforts to keep my faith hidden. And so for the rest of my school career, all throughout primary school and high school, I did my very best to hide my faith, to, to not talk about it and not let anyone know that our family were Christians. And so even in high school, uh, I went to high school in Scotland. Uh, my high school had about a thousand students, uh, and I didn't know of even one Christian in my entire school. And so that sort of reinforced this thinking even further. You know, you're the only one, and if, you, if they find out about you, you'll be totally alone. And I didn't want to stand out in that regard, and so I made a real effort to keep that a secret. And even when it was too difficult to hide uh, with some of my closest friends or girlfriend because they'd be at my house regularly or around my family, uh, I sort of just distanced myself and made it my family's thing, but not my thing. You know, it's what they're into. It's, it's not me. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. Uh, even though personally, even though I sort of sat on the fence a bit and was sort of back and forth, I did believe that Jesus had died for me. And I did believe that what we were being taught from the Bible was true. But I just, I just didn't want other people to know that I thought that. 
And I don't know why that was so important to me from day one. I don't know why I felt the need to blend in like that. Uh, it didn't feel like it was a learned thing. It felt like it was just a thing I felt right from the start. And I just always felt that way. But it wasn't until my later teens that I finally managed to push through that and overcome that. And even then, it took some time. Even then, I had a bit of nervousness about that. And in the passage that we're going to be exploring this morning, the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians throughout the Roman Empire who were feeling tempted to either hide their faith or give up on it completely. Unlike myself, though, these Christians had genuine reasons of why it was feeling difficult to be honest about their faith. You see, it's likely that Peter wrote to them during the reign of the Emperor Nero, who greatly persecuted Christians. You may have heard of the Great Fire of Rome, where 70% of the city of Rome burned to the ground. And in order for um, Nero to try to deflect any question of his authority or power, he blamed the Christians for the fire, and he persecuted them intensely, killing them in all sorts of horrific ways, and such as turning them into human candles to put on display in his garden. Um, it was brutal. It was really terrible. And so the Christians are completely exhausted, and many of them feel like giving up. And so Peter, he writes this letter that we're going to look at uh, to them to encourage them that their faith is worth clinging to, despite how difficult it was making life, because what the Christians were facing was only temporary, but their faith in Jesus was something that would carry them through into eternity. But with all this persecution going on, it was tempting to try to blend in with the culture around them and try to be less obvious with the things that might have made them more obviously a Christian. And one of those things in particular would have been the way that early Christians went about marriage. Because the way that they behaved and treated each other in marriage was very countercultural to the world around them. And you may assume that when I say that, that uh, I would be meaning that their approach to marriage would have been more conservative or been more traditional. But actually, in that time, it was seen as incredibly progressive, and it put at risk the power imbalance between men and women that was considered to be the norm in Roman culture at that time. And so Peter, he encourages these Christians to uh, hold on to their faith, and he also encourages them to cling to the things that make, me, make them distinctly different as Christians, including how they went about marriage, but just how, also how Christians were to treat each other in general. Because Peter believed that the Christian way of life was a powerful testimony about how being transformed by Jesus could radically impact lives and positively uh, impact society. You know, much of the way that Christians lived was what many people in Roman society desired but just didn't have, especially women who were not treated fairly. And Christianity felt like it could be the thing that would finally bring about the kind of change that people were looking for. And so in our passage this morning, Peter reminds these persecuted Christians of how they are called to live in order to be a powerful example to the world around them, speaking to wives, husbands, and then all Christians. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to break our passage down into two halves. We're first of all going to look at the section that specifically addresses wives and husbands, and then later we're going to read the section addressed to all Christians. And so just like last week, no matter where you find yourself right now, there should be something applicable for everyone in these verses. 
But even in the section that is specifically addressed to husbands and wives, there should still be something for us all. Because I think it's valuable for us all to know what the expectation should be for these kinds of relationships in our community or prepare ourselves for them if there's something that's one day in our future. And so let's just jump into the first section of our passage, addressing husbands and wives, and then we'll get into the section for everyone later. And this is what Peter has to say, starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. So that's the advice that Peter has for wives and husbands. And before we start to break down what that all means, there's something else I think we first of all need to try to do, and that is to remove the cultural lenses that many of us likely internalize that passage through. Now, there are a number of cultures represented in this room, so it may not be the case for all of us, but um, for many of us who grew up in Western culture, when we read a passage like that, some particular parts may not sit right. Because when we read some of these instructions and we try to imagine them in our setting today, they may be loaded with a bunch of current baggage that was never intended to be there when they were written. For example, we may need, we may read about the need to accept the authority of a husband and Sarah referring to Abraham as master or wives being referred to as weaker than husbands and, and sort of wince a little bit. Because when we hear statements or advice like that, it can come loaded with a bunch of current examples and discussions where we might feel concerned that this doesn't sound healthy, balanced, or maybe even sound misogynistic. And unfortunately, there would be plenty of real-life examples where at different times in history and society, Christians have taken passages like this and they have used them to manipulate and abuse power. And so what I want us to do is just to pause for a minute and try to cut any of the links that we have started making in our minds of what this means based on our understanding of the world currently around us. To essentially remove the lenses that we might be viewing this passage through and try to give ourselves a clean slate as we consider this passage. If you can, let's approach this passage as if it is the first time we've heard any of these terms or phrases and we're just beginning to learn what they all mean. Because I believe there is incredible wisdom in these verses, but we may need to work hard to hear them as the original readers would have and not let them be tainted by current misuses or misunderstandings of this advice. So how about, in fact, you turn to your neighbor real quick and say, I'm taking my lenses off. I'm taking my lenses off. Awesome. All right. I think we're ready to dive in then, eh? So we're at the start of chapter 3. But as you might have noticed, Peter starts this chapter by saying, in the same way. In the same way as what? 
Well, already through chapter 2, Peter has been giving advice for Christian living. Basically, how Christians should accept the authority of those in places of power, such as the government, how those who were slaves at the time should conduct themselves. And then in chapter 3, Peter moves to husbands, wives, and then all Christians, as well as some other advice for, for elders and young men later on as well. And throughout, Peter carries this theme of submission and, and being considerate of others. And so Peter states that wives are to accept the authority of their husbands. And a statement like this in our culture may indicate or insinuate inequality. Because if one individual has authority, then other individuals must be lesser or not as important. But that wouldn't align with biblical teaching on men and women. Again, like last week, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible and we ask, well, how was it meant to be right back at the start? We'll find that in Genesis chapter 1, God says this. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So right back at the start, we can see that both men and women were made in the image of God. And so I resemble God just as much as my female counterpart. And when we work together, we create a fuller picture of what God is like. Because character-wise, God isn't more like men or less like women. He embodies all the healthy characteristics that make us us. I think sometimes because God refers to himself as he and he gives himself the title father, we may attribute male characteristics to him more than we would female. But I believe that God uses those titles more to help us understand how we relate to him. Because according to Genesis 1, females image God just as much as males do. We're both made in his image. We both resemble him. And Peter even clarifies in verse 7 in our passage this morning that when it comes to being followers of God, we are all equal. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And so when Peter says that wives should accept the authority of their husbands, I do not believe that Peter believes that there should be any imbalance or sense of inequality in that. You see, in Western culture, it's often taught that equality is uniformity of opportunity. But the biblical perspective is that there is equality in unity through the uniqueness of our opportunities. Essentially, that having different roles from each other does not mean that men uh, mean that women are inferior to men. After all, we know that Jesus submitted to the Father, right? But we know that he's also equal to the Father in dignity, worth, and essence. And so Scripture never says anywhere that women are to be subject to men in general. But when it comes to the family unit, authority is a responsibility that God has given to a husband. A specific role, but not one that elevates the importance of men over women. Just one of the ways men image God when in the family unit. And based on what Peter has to say to husbands... That authority is not something that husbands can use as a trump card, right? He says, in the same way, husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. A husband who is understanding and honoring isn't going to force getting his way every time and say, well, I have the final say, and so that's just how it's going to be. He's not going to abuse that authority, right? Instead, he's going to realize that it is a huge responsibility and that there is expectation to use it appropriately with wisdom 
in understanding. I'll give a trivial example. Uh, myself and Tamara uh, have just bought our first home, which we're ex super excited about, and uh, we'll be moving in in the next few weeks. And it, at our new home, uh, there isn't a dishwasher, but there is one at our current place that we rent. And Tamara, who is super thorough and always prepared with great systems in place for everything, which I really appreciate about her, um, was already looking at dish racks to buy. And uh, because there wouldn't be a dishwasher, she was really keen to get a, a decent one that would, you know, make washing and drying the dishes far easier and efficient and stress-free. And so she was finding all these incredible decked-out dish racks with two tiers that sit over the sink instead of the next to the sink so they don't take as much room and, and the dishes, like, drip back into the sink. Um, and I, I thought they were pretty impressive. I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, but when I saw the price, I wasn't so sure that they would be necessary, all right? Because in my mind, I, I was thinking, well, hey, we're going to move in and we'll get a dishwasher installed soon after. You know, I'm making that a top priority because we host a lot of people. Our two boys make a lot of mess, so we'll get one put in. And so I'm keen to get onto that ASAP. And I'm thinking we're just going to need a dish rack temporarily until we can get that done. Um, so I understand we need one that meets our needs, but I don't think we need all the fancy extras. But Tamara felt that I was being too optimistic about how quickly we would be able to get a dishwasher. And so we disagreed and, and we discussed uh, this back and forth, and we had different views on what would be the best thing to do in this situation. And I even then said some dumb things like, well, if you want to go down this route instead of getting a dishwasher, I guess you're volunteering to, for the dishes to be your responsibility. Uh, <laughs> which is a silly thing to say, right? It's a silly thing to say, and I didn't mean it, and it was unnecessary. And in that moment, I wasn't going about that situation like I should have. You know, I was starting to try to put some pressure on and lean towards that this isn't going to happen, and that wasn't helpful. Instead, I needed to be understanding, right? And I needed to recognize that it may take a bit longer to get a dishwasher than I optimistically expect, and that Tamara is at home more often than I am through the day, so she will likely end up doing dishes more often than I will, so it's going to affect her more than me. And so I ended up saying, look, this is silly. Um, you just get whatever dishwasher you need. Like, I don't need to make such a big deal about this. Just get which one you think is the one that we need. But you see, if I was to misuse Peter's instructions in our passage, and I sort of started leaning that direction uh, with some of the unhelpful comments I made, if I had continued down that route and said, well, I'm making the final decision here. I'm making the final call. We're not spending that much on a dish rack. Well, that is not how I'm called to use the authority that God has given because it would be showing no attempt to understand or to honor. Right? And of course, that is a, a very trivial example, but you can probably think of examples of how that kind of thinking can get out of hand pretty quickly. And that's sort of what Peter's leaning into as well when he says uh, that she may be weaker than you are. In the Greek, that phrase is just referring to physical strength and, and nothing else. And so he is saying, don't be using your physical strength to intimidate or use as a tool to misuse the authority that you've been given. And so in Christian marriage, a wife is accepting the authority of her husband over their family because she trusts that he will honor her and be understanding. And when that is the case, there should be no sense of inequality or imbalance because both individuals are being treated with respect, acknowledging the responsibility given to each of them. And that's all it means when it says that Sarah called Abraham master. You see, that was a sign of respect, that she respected the decisions that Abraham was making. It's not a phrase that we would likely use today, uh, but as Abraham essentially oversaw a large group of people in his family, 
all the people within that unit would have called him master or lord as he was in charge of the whole community that traveled with him, which could have made up hundreds of people. And so that was the cultural norm. It might be sort of similar to us uh, using a phrase like sir or ma'am today, but even then we don't really use those um, phrases either. And so though in our culture it may seem a bit backwards to refer to things like this, in the culture that Peter was speaking into, this was super progressive thinking. Because in Roman culture, men could pretty much do whatever they liked, and they often had a mistress on the side, and their wives couldn't do much about it. So the fact that Peter was calling these Christian men to honor and understand their wives would mean that these men would have to limit how Roman culture said that they could use their authority. You see, Christianity was presenting something new, a way of life in which people were to treat each other as equals at a time when that was not the norm. You see, authority is an opportunity for great responsibility. Authority, when used appropriately, is actually going to create more work for husbands rather than less. It's going to take more intentionality, and it's not going to be a trump card to make things easier. And and this was a hugely progressive call on the lives of these Roman Christian men, because that would have not been how they were raised. That would not have been the sort of uh, culture that they were living in. And the same is true for Peter's other advice uh, and instructions to wives on their appearance. This was also incredibly progressive for the time, even though it may not seem that way at first. When he says, don't be concerned about your outward beauty or fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes, you should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. You know, it might be easy to initially interpret this as restrictive or misogynistic, But you see, at this time in Roman culture, wives and women were sort of treated like trophies, with physical beauty being of the utmost importance. Women weren't allowed to own land, they weren't allowed to vote, they had very few opportunities, and really, physical beauty was the only way that they could get themselves places in society, unless they came from families of money. And so, uh, so what Peter had to say is very countercultural, to state that a woman's beauty was far more than physical. Peter isn't saying that you can't dress nice. He's just saying don't make that your main focus because you are so much more than that. As someone made in the image of God, you are so precious to him. And what is truly beautiful to him is how you carry yourself rather than how you look. And Peter believed that doing so could have a huge impact on the kingdom of God. And it already was. You see, because Christianity promoted this kind of equality that women didn't find in Roman society, many women became Christians, often when their husbands weren't. And so the church was made up of a lot of women who were the only Christians in their family. And so Peter advises them to live in this way because it may impact their husbands for the gospel. That if they were to focus more on the inside rather than the outside, their husbands might notice this change and say, man, this Christian stuff is really making a difference in your life, and I actually think I'll come check it out. I think I'd like to know more. Peter's saying, be different to the other woman in Roman society. Be the kind of woman that people say, man, that lady is so wise, so kind, just the type of person that you love to be around. Because if that is a distinct characteristic of Christian women, then Christianity is going to be even more appealing to Roman society. Don't try to blend in and, and be like everybody else. Don't try to hide who you are by fo- um, focusing on what they're all focusing on. Be proud of who you are and be proud of what you believe in. Because when you do, it attracts more and more people to the good news of Jesus. 
And so for them, it was a sort of like bringing about a, a type of uh, equality that didn't exist in Roman culture. For us in our day today, it might be sort of more bringing stability to life in a, in a culture where things can be quite unstable and things can fall apart quite easily. We can say, hey, we have a stable thing, we have a good thing, and people see that and they might want to be a part of that. And, you know, he says to, to have a, a gentle spirit is what Peter advises. And we know that gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirit. So if we wanted a, a more comprehensive list of the kind of characteristics Peter is referring to, then the fruit of the spirit would be a great place to start. If you want a bit of a checklist of what it would look like to be a godly woman or even a, a godly man, the fruit of the spirit is a great place to look and say, what does it look like? What's the sort of things that people would notice and be interested in if they didn't know Jesus? Well, it would be if I was carrying these sorts of characteristics, that's what would intrigue people. And so I believe if both Christian men and women are striving to embody these characteristics, the fruit of the spirit, we will all be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And those fruit might be displayed slightly differently between our two genders, but together we will paint a beautiful picture of what God is like. And so Peter is saying, wives, embrace, this beautiful, the, embrace the beautiful characteristics God has called you to have and accept the authority of your husbands. But husbands, don't abuse that authority. Your wife is your equal, so treat her with understanding and honor. So that your prayers won't be hindered is what he says. And so I don't know specifically what that means, but it would appear that your ability to communicate and be led by God is hindered if you mistreat your wife. And so that's definitely a huge thing to consider when you are in a relationship and keep that in mind. And hey, if you are here and you are finding that not to be true of your marriage, we'd love to, to try to support you through that. Maybe for some of you wives, your husband has been abusing that authority and you'd like some support for that, would be keen to chat. Maybe husbands, you're finding it hard to control your temper and you would want to get that right, would be so keen to support you through that. Maybe your wife is mistreating you and you aren't sure what to do about that. Or maybe together you just want to sit down with us and chat about some things that you guys would like to work through together. As the pastoral team here, we are keen to chat. We're available to chat. We're there to support you. And I'm more than happy to chat after the service or meet through the week and, and discuss more about these things as well. If you just want to, get in, if you want to get in contact, you can go to our website, crossroads.co.nz. We have our contact information there. You can say, hey, I'd love to just catch up with a pastor, and we'll catch up with you and, and chat through those things and, and work through them with you. Because, you know, I, I recognize that if living this way hasn't been your reality, it's going to take some work, right? It's going to take some time, and we can pray that the Holy Spirit will help us through this, and, and we can trust that He will, um, you know, that He can help us be the kind of spouses that are spoken about in the passage that we're looking at today. But He may do that through the support of your church community, and so that's what we're here for. We're here to be for, there for you and walk through these things together. And so through the first few chapters of First Peter, He's been going through and He's been addressing right? How different groups ought to live as Christians. But then he moves back to addressing everybody collectively. He recognizes that there are specific relationships within Christian communities, such as marriage, that need specific support and guidance. And so he addresses that briefly. But then for the rest of the chapter three, and most of four, he has advice for everyone, making sure that nobody is left out. And so as we head towards the end, let's, let's read these, these verses together from verse eight onward. It says this, it says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. 
Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what is right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So there's quite a few recommendations there, right? In terms of how we should live as Christians. And if we were going to try to break every single one of those down, we'd be here for way longer than anybody would probably be pleased with. Uh, don't worry, we're, we're way past the halfway mark on this. Um, but I don't think we need to do that anyway. I don't think we need to because I believe there's one thing that all of these suggestions have in common. One thing that we can do that will help us more regularly do all of these things. And that is to give ourselves moments to pause and have a think about how we're going to respond. Have you seen those ACC ads that go around, the, the have a him ads, where you're meant to sort of think about what you're going to do before you do it? That's essentially what we want to do. That's essentially how we live out these characteristics that Peter has called us to. You know, if we're trying to be of, of one mind and someone says something and my initial reaction is to respond in disagreement, if I take a pause and I give myself time to think about how I'm going to respond, I might, I might find that my response doesn't need to be as confrontational as it was initially going to be. And the same is true if I want to love others like I need to, right? I can take a moment and think about how am I going to respond or how will I show my love to this person? When it comes to humility, I personally struggle with that one in my mind. And so I often need to take a pause, right, in order to choose humility rather than blurt out something that's going to puff myself up. How would you refrain from repaying evil with further evil? Well, by taking a pause, right? And actually thinking through your response rather than just instantly responding. Don't just act on what you feel in the moment. Give it a few days and think about how you're going to respond with blessing instead. Take a deep breath when somebody slings an insult at you because in that moment your heart might be racing and you're ready to take them down. But give yourself a moment to let the adrenaline cool and respond with a clear head. I have personally found that with the help of the Holy Spirit, this alone has probably made the biggest difference or biggest uh, positive impact in all sorts of different relationships for me. Because if I find myself in turmoil, it's often because I instantly responded in a heightened situation and I said something that I didn't really mean. And so regularly, especially on my drive home from work at the end of each day, when I know that the boys might be tired and whiny and I don't have a lot of energy to give, I pray. God, please give me a moment to pause. Give me a moment to pause. Please, when I, when I want to instantly respond and I don't really have that moment to, to stop and think, just prompt me and, and help me to pause. Take a deep breath before I do anything. And I should pray that every day, right? Because I find that it genuinely makes a big difference when I do. And I often find myself disappointed when I don't. And I think, oh man, I should have prayed for that on the way home instead of listening to that podcast. That would have been really helpful for this moment. And so... If we want to live in the way that Peter encourages us to live here, I really encourage all of us to just stop and take a pause. Take a pause. Work on taking pauses, and you'll likely find that all of the things that P Peter listed there in that passage are more and more achievable. And of course, we can pray that the Holy Spirit help us in that, and I believe that he will, because he wants what is best for us. 
And the reality is that kind of example Peter calls us to be isn't achievable on our own. We know that if the way that we live as Christians is, is a powerful example to the world around us, it's not because we changed ourselves, but because the Holy Spirit changed us. Otherwise, everybody would just do it. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be people who live lives that are distinctly different from the world around us. And we don't have to be ashamed of that. We don't have to try to hide that like I once did or try to blend in. If people question us or think it's weird to live the way that we do, whether that be how we go about marriage or the meek stance that we're supposed to take when dealing with one another, we don't have to shy away because we can be confident that it is what God has called us to. And so it is the very best way for us to live. It's not something that needs to be hidden, but is a transformative way of life that can impact lives and society in a positive way as an example of true love, humility, and grace. It can be the stable thing that people are looking for. And so we can be proud of that and we can live that out. You know, no matter how hard I tried to hide my faith, if my friends spent time with my family, it often still got out. Because though I was embarrassed, my family weren't, and they were living it out, and my friends would see this. I remember one day at about the age of 15, um, one of my best friends, uh, who used to spend a lot of time at my house, um, and he would come over and have dinner with us and that sort of thing. I remember one time he said to me, hey, it's really cool how your family eat dinner together each night, and they care about each other. I wish I had that. And unfortunately, in my 15-year-old maturity, I said, yeah, I guess it's all right. But he noticed. He noticed. And, you know, it th that takes a lot for a 15-year-old to say something like that, you know, and not be worried that your friend's going to think you're uncool or something. But he said that he noticed. I remember another occasion where we had a young guy uh, living with us for a time. And as we took a, a family trip together to the beach, he came with us. And he said to me, you know, it's pretty cool how your mom and dad actually like each other. It's pretty special. And again, I didn't have anything of value to add to that because I just didn't really notice. But when we live the kind of lives that Christians are meant to live, that Peter calls us to live, it's impactful on people. It's impactful on people, and they notice. And so let's strive to shape our marriages around the parameters that are laid out for us in the Scripture. Let's take pauses so we can treat others like we are called to do. And our way of life, it may seem a little weird, it may seem a bit backwards to some people, but ultimately, how we are living is good. We can be confident in that. And often, people want that for themselves too. If they spend enough time with us, they might realize this is the sort of thing that I've been looking for. And Peter believed that. He believed that, and he encouraged Christians around him to continue to press into that kind of living, despite the world around them being so different. So let's also do the same. May our relationships be impacted by the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so, so grateful that not only did you send your son to die for us and give us eternal life, but you are so interested in every little intricate part of our lives. And you give us advice for all of it, Lord, whether that's how we treat one another or, or how we treat each other in marriage. Um, you, you care about it all. And you just give us these, these great ways to um, treat each other like we'd like to be treated and be an incredible example of your love for us. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. We're so grateful that as we step into relationships, we don't have to be lost. We don't have to just make it up as we go, that you give us guidance, that you give us parameters of how to do that well. And so I pray that you would help us 
to do that well, Lord, that you would help us to treat each other with respect, that you would help us to honor and understand the different roles that you've given us and that we would work together uh, just for your glory. I pray that as we spend time with people in our community who don't know you, Lord, that they would see it and they would see that it is different and they would be interested and want to know more why we live our lives the way we do. And we can say, Lord, it's because of you. It's because of the way that you have changed our lives. And so we're so grateful for that. But as a community of human beings, Lord, it can be easier said than done. And so we just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Your Holy Spirit would lead us. Your Holy Spirit would come and fill in the gaps when, when we need those, Lord. When there's moments where, where we don't have the self-control that we wished we would have or we're ready to respond quickly and haven't thought about what else we could say, that your Holy Spirit would just come in and prompt us and just give us an opportunity to do something different, to be different, to be more like you. I just want to pray a blessing, Lord, over the marriages in this place, Lord, that you would just be with them and just help them to be the, the married couples that you want them to be, Lord, and just be an incredible example of your love to the people around them. I just want to pray for that, Lord. Just pray that it, we would continue to go back to you, Lord, and trust in you, that we need you. We need you on these journeys, Lord. We need you to help us. So thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for time and your word this morning. Thank you for just blessing us with it. Thank you for being here amongst us. Thank you that your spirit is with us here right now. We're so grateful for that, Lord. So we just want to spend some more time worshiping you now, Lord. We just want to spend some more time praising you and pointing it all back towards you, that we can do all of these things and know all these things because of you, because that you died for us and you sent your spirit to be with us, Lord. So we love you and we thank you for your love. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.